Today I've given today's message a title that we don't talk about much today, and that's purity. Purity is a word that really today depends a lot on the context in which we use it. If we talk about it concerning a precious metal like gold or silver or something, we say everybody would agree that the the purer it is, the better it is. But yet we live in a day and a time when we use it in the context of, of living life, especially in the realm of relationships. And if you use the word purity concerning our relationships in life, we're considered old and old-fashioned and out of date. To me, purity is one of those things that should be valued at all levels. You know, my grandfather lived to be 96 years old, and he ate fruit and vegetables and from his garden that he grew himself. And they were fresh, and they were good. You know what? I still, it is hard to find a tomato that tastes like what used to come out of his garden. But I also know that he ate all the stuff that, that, uh, that they tell us we're not supposed to eat. I mean, on a daily basis, it was bacon and sausage and eggs and biscuits and gravy and and all that stuff they tell us we're supposed to stay away from. Yet he lived to be 96 years old. So I'm thinking there was something in those pure vegetables that he ate on a regular basis that helped kind of offset some of the other stuff that he ate. But we live in a day in society now where we see that, that somewhere along the way, man got the idea that he could take stuff that God created and he could mix his own chemicals into it and he could mess with its genetics and, he could, and we could do things and we could somehow make it better. But isn't it interesting how now we're going back to the purity of things? You walk in the store now, what do you see? You see a whole section that's the organic section. And what it means is it's about a quarter of the price higher than the, than the other section that's right next to it. So I don't know how somehow leaving all the chemicals and stuff out of it made it more expensive, but that's, that's the way it is. But purity is valued. Purity is valued all the way up to the very throne of God. Matter of fact... I'm going to make this statement. Nothing brings a move of God faster than purity of heart. This week during my devotion time, part of the reason I'm excited to preach this message is, is there are times that, that putting together is a, a sermon or messages. We, we have a direction we're going, something we're doing, and it's, it's something that you kind of work on and assemble. But then there are those times that you're just in God's word and he just lays it all out in front of you. And this week was one of those weeks I was reading my own devotion time. And I was reading in uh, Second Chronicles and reading about King Hezekiah. I love reading about the kings that inherited a mess. And then all of a sudden, that the previous king makes this statement, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Matter of fact, in his case, his father was King Ahaz, and King Ahaz was so bad that Scripture tells us that when he died, that the people didn't even want to bring him back and bury him in the cemetery with the rest of the kings. They was like, we we just don't even want anything to do with this guy. So Hezekiah steps up at 21 years of age and becomes king. 
And he begins to try to turn things around. And, and I love those stories when you have somebody that, is, that has the boldness to step into a mess when the, uh, when the, when the kingdom is in disarray. And all of a sudden they say, you know what, we're going to work and we're going to fix this thing. We're going to make it right. And he begins this process. And so I was reading that story, and I love this story, but I came across 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 2, and it just jumped off the page at me. It says this, The king, his officials, and all the community of Jerusalem decided to celebrate Passover a month later than usual. I thought, wow. That was quite a thing. Let me read that again. 2 Chronicles 32. The king and his officials and all the community of Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover a month later than usual. Now think about this. I, I said Hezekiah was 21, but he's actually 25. But this, this he's trying to reestablish things. The, the, the temple had been closed up the the people were were no longer engaged in the things like they used to be so he begins this process of opening things back up and trying to turn the nation's heart back towards god and so they come along and they decide you know what we're going to celebrate the passover which is a huge thing it was a part of the law something that's supposed to be done every year but the interesting thing is is that as they do they realize something you ever been in one of those things that you're that all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a situation that no matter which way you go, there's going to be some level of wrong to it. And they, as they begin to prepare to receive, celebrate the Passover, they realize that oops, there's a problem. The Passover is just around the corner, and we have no way for there to be enough time to have any of the priests and the people ceremonially clean like they need to be. They can't purify themselves in time. So we have a choice. We're stuck. Either way they went, technically they were breaking the law. They could celebrate the Passover on time with people that are unclean and impure, or they could move the date of the Passover and break the law, and they could have pure, they could go through the rituals and be purified and have things like they're supposed to be, but then they wouldn't be celebrating the Passover at the time the law prescribed. So they're stuck. You know what I love about this story, though? Between those two things, they chose purity. They decided that being pure was more important than keeping the letter of the law of doing something on a certain date. To me, that was huge. As I began to think about that process and and looked at it, that that they chose purity. And this started a chain of events that, that... let this nation in a whole direction. And it concludes with a statement I'm about to read. I want you to, after all this that we're going to talk about today transpired and all of it finished, here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 31 21. This is the end of Hezekiah's reign. Then we're going to tell the story in between. It says this about Hezekiah. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. There was something about when he set his heart right. There was something about when the nation set their heart right. There was something about when they embraced purity that just started a chain of events that led to the revival of a nation. 
Like I said, nothing moves the heart of God faster than purity of heart. So as I begin to look at this, and interesting, this literally was one of those things that a pattern emerged. That I read the story, and I backed up and looked at it as a whole, and I was like, it's very clear the steps that took place, what that purity decision began to unfold in the nation. And I thought, boy, not only does that fit our nation, but that fits us as individuals. That fits us as a church. So as I looked at that, the first step that took place was there was a prayer for purity. See, the truth is, purity of intention draws God attention more than our actions alone. I mean, no, we can do the right things, but do them for the wrong reasons. But when we have a purity of intention and a purity of heart, God responds to that. Because as I said, according to the letter of the law, they couldn't get it right either way they went. But they settled on purity. And so the king, knowing the situation they're in, prays this prayer over the people that God responds to. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 30, 18 through 20. It says this, For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. In other words, they didn't do it right. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the God of the Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God. The Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness, and the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. That's huge. They, they, they were... They weren't doing things to the letter of the law. They weren't, they weren't doing it just right. But from where they had been, there was a change of heart. There was something that happened on the inside, and they chose purity. And so Hezekiah prays this prayer over the people and says, You know what? Lord, I know they're not doing it exactly right. But, Lord, they've turned their heart to you. They're trying to move in the right direction. Lord, bless them. And the Lord heard the prayer and responded to them. See, there's just something about when we approach God as flawed and as broken and as messed up as we are, that when we finally say, Lord, I set my heart to you. Lord, I know I don't have it right completely. But when we turn our attention and our heart to him with the right heart, he responds. I can tell you horror stories of people that get so focused on the letter of the law. Can you imagine the Pharisees that Jesus faced had they been in that day? They'd have been picking the whole thing apart. They're doing this in the wrong month. They're not dressed right. They didn't purify and cleanse themselves like they're supposed to. But they had the right heart. And God heard their prayer and it starts with the heart I've seen horror stories of people that come in you've probably all seen or maybe experienced some of those that, that maybe somebody walks in the door of a church and they don't have it all together they're not wearing the holy sports coat 
They don't have the holy prayer cloth tied around their neck. They don't act like some people think that they're supposed to. And they're coming in, though, because they know that there's something that they need. And then somebody approaches them and begins to, 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 begins to focus and pick them apart on all the outside stuff. And you see them walk out the door and they never come back in again because somebody was so concerned about the outside stuff that they didn't even look at the heart to me. If somebody walks in and they have a heart to go after God, the outside will eventually take care of itself. Because it all starts with a change of heart. Others, you, others of you, you, you came here today, and it's not that, but man, you're, you're all cleaned up. You got up. You picked out your best stuff. You put it on. I mean, you had a good hair day. And I mean, you, you, you look at yourself in the mirror one more time before walking out and say, yeah, I cleaned up pretty good. And you come walking in. And maybe you are clean all the way down to the heart. And you say, man, I, today's one of those days I got all together. I look good. I smell good. And my heart's good. Maybe you walked in today and said, you know what, I don't have it all together. But I know there's something I need. And I know that there's a God that loves me. And I just want to reach out to him. But I know I fall short. That's okay. We want you here. We want you. He wants you here. He loves you. Maybe you're here today and you just walked in because you said, you know what, I just, I, I, I've, it was ingrained to me from the time I was a kid that I need to step into church, you know, at least a couple of times a month and I'm just here for the ritual part of it and then I'm gone. But the truth is, no matter which category you fall in, we all should strive for a heart of purity towards God. We all should pray and say, Lord, I may not have it all together, or I may feel like I've got it all together. But even if you feel like you've got it all, to, all together, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is of filthy rags. We all fall short. But if we have a purity of heart towards God, and we ask God to purify us even more, then that opens the door for a whole wave of things that he can do in our lives. Because you're here today, you're not here by accident. And purity of intention draws God's attention much more than our actions. But as we move on with this story, as they, they pull all this together and they decide to, to value purity over the letter of the law as far as the date on the calendar, and they begin to, to follow this, and they go after God, and it draws his attention, and they pray the right prayers, and God blesses them, that something incredible happens. All of a sudden, unadulterated worship breaks out. Because nothing 
moves the heart of God faster than purity of heart. I love what happens next. Look at verse 21. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all of their might to the Lord. Matter of fact, one translation says they sang accompanied by loud instruments. So if you have a problem with just what just happened, it's scriptural. <laughs> Worship broke out. This strict ritual, I mean, if you ever seen the Passover celebrated, it's really cool. It's neat, all the symbolism and all the stuff that's in it, but it's not exactly this exuberant thing. But yet in the middle of the celebration, it breaks, worship breaks out. Celebration breaks out. There was so much, this was so much more fulfilling than the letter of the law. And as they turn their hearts to purity, they begin to worship. And this was pure, unadulterated worship from a purity of heart. And, that is, and it was something that this nation hadn't seen in years. Matter of fact, it got so good to them, I, I had to back up and look at it again because this part I didn't remember. See, the, the festival of unleavened bread, the, the Passover was supposed to last seven days. It woke, broke out into such worship and such a celebration that they got together and said, you know what, let's do this another seven days. That's revival, people. When all of a sudden it's like, you know, we're not, it's not a ritual anymore. God's moving. Things are happening. Let's do this for seven more days. It's extended services. And it all started with the purity of heart that led, that led to purity in worship. I know a lot of people that say, well, worship isn't my thing. I understand there's different types of people. Other people can, but there are some that, man, you could tell worship's their thing. I mean, first note, <laughs> I'm there, right? And you see them. I never forget, I, I'm going to pick on a little bit, I never forget my daughter-in-law Meredith on her first Sunday that was here. I mean, she wasn't even from this kind of background, and I didn't even know she was coming. And I get this message from Derek, hey, I'm bringing a friend to church with me. And Derek messages her that she didn't even know what kind of church we were. And he says, oh, by the way, uh, the church is an Assembly of God church, and my dad's the pastor. And she didn't know that. And so she comes in. And I'll never forget, she's seated on the back row. I noticed two things about that morning. Number one, it was pretty obvious she was more than a friend. Number two, I noticed very quickly, even though it wasn't her background, I saw hands raised and tears running down her face. Because that is a person of worship. But I know there's some people that say, you know what, well, I'm not a worship person, but I'm a word person. Okay. But guess what? If we're honest, we all should be worship and word people. Matter of fact, can I say this? FYI, 
there's going to be a lot of worship in heaven. Something, something happens, though, when this thing gets from our mind to our heart and into our spirit that ignites a purity of worship. And you would be surprised, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm a worship person after all. You know, I, I by nature, I'm a pretty laid-back person. I'm just chill. But you know, when we start singing about who he is and what he's done, there is something deep inside of me that begins to stir. There's an excitement because I know where I came from. I know who he is. I've tasted and seen that he is good. And there just comes a point that's like, you know what? I can't help but to worship him. And that should be our heart. That should be our focus. There is something, there's something that happened in this moment. I mean, can you imagine worship broke out in a Passover celebration? And, and suddenly there's something about when we step off into worship that all of a sudden our burdens that we carry in life don't seem so heavy. They're still there, but they don't seem to matter as much. There's something, we begin to feel this freedom in our hearts and, and we begin to loosen up and there's something we can do, we can... We can God can move in that atmosphere. We've seen people spontaneously healed in the midst of worship that nobody even prayed for. Because there is something about when you approach the throne of God with a pure heart. Nothing brings the move of God faster than purity of heart. But it didn't stop with the worship. This is what I love, is the worship soon became this untainted joy. Verse 26, So there was such great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had not been nothing like this in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, if, if, if the scripture says that this joy broke out and there had been nothing like it in Jerusalem since the time of Solomon, that was, that was some pretty obvious joy that was going on that hit the community. Matter of fact, not only had they decided to extend the Passover for seven more days, the king says, you know what, if we're going to do that, I'm going to help with this process. And so the king Hezekiah himself offered up 1,000 additional bulls and 7,000 more sheep. His princes come along and say, you know what, we can get on this too. And they offer another 1,000 bulls and 10,000 more sheep. You see what's happening? This joy is beginning to take over in this place. It's beginning to spread out. And it all started with them saying, you know, we're going to pick purity of our celebration of the Passover over the letter of the law. And it began to move and it began to spread. And now, now they're in this time of joy and this purity and this worship and this joy begins to break out. And, and, and I mean, seriously, this all-you-could-eat buffet turned out to all-the-joy-you-could-handle buffet.
I mean, it goes back to what David referred to generations earlier in Psalm, 20, Psalm 16, 11, where it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. I thought about that, and I mentioned the buffet, because every time I read that, that passage about fullness of joy, you know, we all know what it's like to go to your favorite buffet place, right? And you load your plate, and you load your plate, and you load your plate, and you go back again. And you can, you can start out trying to have a halfway balanced meal, but then by the second and third plate, you're, you're kind of saying, you know, I'm going to focus on the stuff I really like. <laughs> and you end up walking out in pain. You say, oh, that was good, but I can't do any more. Can you picture fullness of joy? Oh, no more joy. I've got all I can handle. Wouldn't there be a place to be where there's this fullness of joy, where there's just this bubbling over from the inside, and this broke out into the community, and God began to move? When was the last time you overflowed with joy? I mean, when you approach God with a purity of heart, I'm not, I'm not talking about a spotless, perfect life. Because you know what? They weren't perfect either. They just set their hearts to purity and begin to walk through this process, and God begin to do a work. You see, your old stuff can be made new. We're not talking about being perfect. Matter of fact, sometimes I see people think, well, you know what? If I'm going to come to God, i got to get myself cleaned up first. No, all it takes is that shift of the heart. And it starts a road. It starts a process. And God begins to do work in the same pattern that we're seeing here laid out in Scripture can happen in your life. It starts with that shift of the heart towards purity. And God begins to move. You do things right. And you're not perfect. You're not following the letter of the law. But all of a sudden, God changes your mind about some of those things. You say, but, but I'm not, I got my old stuff. So did the thief on the cross. And he was there because he deserved to be there. He recognized that he deserved to be there. He told his, the fellow man that was being crucified, that was hurling insults with the crowd at Jesus. And he told him, he said, don't you fear? We're here because we're supposed to be here. This man's done nothing. So here, I mean, here's a criminal. There was such a bad enough criminal that he was being crucified. But he had that change towards the purity of heart. And he looked at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't have time to get his life cleaned up and straightened out. He didn't have time to get it all together. He didn't have time to dress right. He just said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, I promise you, 
I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. See, when we pray, when we worship, and we let that joy begin to spill in our heart and we move closer to the source, and you find yourself enveloped in his glory and in his joy. You know, can I say this? The world's always going to have its junk. It's never going to be right in this life. But you know what? He gives us a taste of his joy. He gives us a taste of his presence. And that's the down payment on things to come. And we get to enjoy it. Because the stream is always the purest at its source. Then something else happens. And this is something that people don't like to hear talked about or preached about. But something else interesting happened. All of a sudden, these people were struck with what I'm calling open-handed generosity. Hands that were once closed are now open towards the things of God. Let's read 2 Chronicles 31.5. And it says, As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in an abund- abundantly the tithe of everything. See, suddenly, as the heart shifted... As worship broke out, as joy hit them, suddenly the things of God that had been neglected, the people began to see as important again. They began to open their hands up, and they began to give generously. If you go on and read it, the priests and stuff didn't know what to do. They literally, it says, had piles of stuff piled up. And the king instructed them to build more storage facilities just to handle the stuff that was being brought in. Can you imagine? Cali Pastor Nate talked about where they had to say, hey, guys, stop. I have never in my life had to say, guys, stop. But I'm not talking about, I'm I'm not trying to use this to raise an offering this morning. I'm just telling you, when we have purity of heart, things happen. All of a sudden, when it connects with the heart, our hands that have been closed begin to open because we see the value of spreading this gospel. And it began to happen. And while it doesn't directly say that this happened, there's no doubt in my mind that as they begin to open their hands towards God with generosity, God began to pour out even more blessing on them. Because there is something about the first fruits. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but can I tell you something? I am not going to ask you guys to do anything that we don't do ourselves. I believe in the first fruits principle. I believe in having open hand of generosity towards God. Not that we've got this overabundance. I promise you, there are times we're praying over our bills just as hard as anybody else. But I've learned if I put him first, 
The rest of it takes care of itself. I kind of flopped that out of order because I didn't want to end on that one, but I want to I show you what happened that's just an incredible part of this story that kind of wraps the whole thing up. All of this led to this desire for unsoiled hearts. We know that we live in a dirty world. We live in a world that wants to soil our hearts and our minds at every single turn. Let me say this. Any dialogue with temptation opens up the door for impurity. We begin to entertain temptation. It opens the door to impurity. And we live in a world of temptation. You can be driving down the road with the most innocent heart and mind and something on some billboard is going to tempt you. We live in that kind of world. But I want you to look at what happened. Second Chronicles 31.1 Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. All of a sudden, this thing spilled out. I mean, when it's over with, this two-week celebration, this Passover where the hearts of the nations and this worship and this joy and all this broke out. All of a sudden, it says when they left, they said, you know what? We're not going to go back to soiled hearts like we used to have. We're going to go out and we're going to remove all of those things. It wasn't an order of the king. They did it on their own. They said, you know what? These idols, these things we've got in place, we're going to tear them down. When it talks about the Asherah things, we're talking about the, uh, the, the so-called goddess Asherah that literally was this fertility god that they had turned to because of the communities around them thinking that it would help them with their crops and other things. And you can just imagine the things that went on with worshiping in a fertility god. And the people began to go out and they began to tear these things down. They began to clean things up. They changed their environment. The nation changed. But we do. We live in a time, we live in a world, we live in a nation that does its very best to keep us soiled. And somewhere along the line, we've got to draw the line and say, you know, enough. I may not can control everything that goes on in the environment around me, but as for me and my house, I can make sure my house is clean. I cannot open the door. I can set it up where I don't have to have these dialogues with temptation all the time. If there's something that I struggle with, I can make, I can draw lines and I can get things out of my life to keep me from going there. See, purity of heart is obtainable. Perfection is not. I can make sure that I have a purity and a right attitude of heart towards God and the things of God. You know, let's face it. None of us go through life where at the end of the day we're able to stop and say, God, I had a perfect day today. God, there's not a single law of yours I didn't break. 
I was perfect. No. But I can have a purity of heart. I can have a heart that grieves when I do stumble and when I do fall. I can have a heart that goes to God and says, Lord, I blew it on this one. Forgive me. And I can strive in my heart to change that attitude. You know what the nice thing is? There is a gap between many times. Even Paul talked about this, that I do the thing that I desire not to do. There can be a gap between where our heart wants us to be and where we are in reality. You know what the great thing about grace is? I think it was the first ever gap insurance (laughs) that covers that gap between where our heart knows we ought to be and where we are. That doesn't mean that we go around living our life saying, oh, God will forgive me. Because you start doing that, that's when you're in the danger zone. But when your heart is striving to follow God and your heart is tuned towards purity, then thank God there's the grace to cover the gap between where we know we need to be and where we are while we're working on that process of getting there. Isn't that wonderful? That we have that. See, that's where grace comes in. See, any dialogue with temptation we know opens the door to impurity, and we should strive to be pure. But as our worship team comes, I want to read the end of the story again. Because I love this whole story of Ezekiel. If you get a chance, read 2 Chronicles 28, 29, 30, and 31, and you'll see this story laid out. There's so many details we didn't have time to get into this morning. But you see this unfolding where the whole thing started with the desire to set things right. Then it became a choice of purity over the letter of the law. Then it became something that spilled over into genuine worship. Then it became joy. Then it became a a generosity of spirit. Then it became a desire to go out and to tear down the things that would lead them back to the old way. You know, if you compare what Scripture said about his father Ahaz to what it says here about Hezekiah at the end. Who wouldn't want this written about you when you finish this whole thing? And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart. Man, I'd love that on my tombstone. He sought God with all his heart. And prospered. That should be our heart's desire. See, because the price has been paid. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And whether you walked in the door this morning feeling like you've got it all together, 
Or you walked in this morning knowing you don't have it all together. Or you walked in this morning and you said, I don't care, I'm, I'm here because I'm doing just my ritualistic duty and, and I'm thinking about lunch right now. <laughs> the point is that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you and he desires the very best for you. And you don't have to clean yourself up first. You can't clean yourself up enough. But if you just turn your heart towards purity and you say, Lord, I know I'm messed up. Lord, I know I fall short, but Lord, I want to surrender this thing to you. I want to turn my heart towards purity. I turn my heart and my attention to you. And Lord, if there is some way that you can come in, Lord, I know that I'm not getting everything right. I'm not doing everything ritualistically right. I don't have it all together. But Lord, if somehow you can bless that, Lord, I give it to you. And when you do, The same pattern that we saw is available. You pray for it. You ask Him for it. You you begin to move that way, then all of a sudden, worship takes on a different meaning to you. All of a sudden, there's a joy on the inside that you didn't have before. All of a sudden, you get a passion for the things of God. And your hands that were closed and tight-fisted to the things of God begin to open up. Then the next thing, you know, you begin to look at the things in your life around you and say, you know what, this altar needs to come down. This idol needs to be torn down. I got to get, you begin to clean house. That's how revival starts. Trust me, folks, I am just as frustrated with the political climate of this nation as anybody else. And there's some things that need to happen. But I can't change those things. But if more of us will do like they did here and begin to set our hearts towards God, it'll spill out and it'll spread from person to person. And this nation will be changed from the inside out.